What's going on, guys? Welcome to my third episode of Dime Dropper. As always, before we get started, please remember to follow us on social media at Dime Dropper Pod on Twitter and Instagram, as well as follow us on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, as well as YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast. For today's topic, by the way, keep giving me uh, advice and feedback on each episode. I didn't get as much for the last one. I'm hoping to get a lot for this. So for today's topic, we're going to talk about something that's very controversial and discussed on the daily, and that is the GOAT debate. Now, the GOAT is a sub- GOAT stands for greatest of all time, if you didn't know, and is a subjective matter that changes depending on who you ask and depends on what aligns with that person's views. For a lot of people, an individual player resonates with them because they think the same way or they play the same way or play a way that they like or they just enjoy watching them play. For me, the way I grew up playing basketball, I was taught that there's only one goal, and that is to win. And in the beginning, when a player first burst onto the scene, of course you want that feeling of self-worth that everybody knows that you can play. But once you become a real star, what separates you from from the good to the great is winning. My friends, winning is everything. At the end of the day, in my opinion, stats don't matter nearly as much as winning. Now, I know what you're going to say. If winning is everything, why isn't Bill Russell the GOAT? Well, if you were to tell me that you think Bill Russell is the GOAT, I'm really not going to argue against, I would say that's a totally valid opinion. And if you're about to turn this off because I just said that, then you don't deserve to be listening to the facts that I'm going to spit at you. Because the reason why I'm doing this is because... There are two people that the media or someone has propped up or we've been hearing a lot of comparisons between recently. And that is who? Jordan and LeBron James. Now, when you ask older people, they don't really compare these two guys. Who does this? Two people, two sets of people. The newer generation who didn't watch Jordan play live, including myself, and the media. Now, question. Why did is Bill Russell or all these people getting overlooked? In Bill Russell's case, everybody says that his era was trash because there was only nine teams in the league, including me, who was guilty of this before I did further research and further knowledge that he still had to beat two teams. He only The thing is, it's so different. That's why I'm not comparing Russell to Jordan right now is because there's only nine teams in the league. There were no three-pointers. Uh, you could barely even back someone down. Like Shaq style, it wasn't allowed. It was an offensive foul. And, of course, only nine teams in the league. Now, that doesn't make it easy for him to win just because he has to only win one round to get to the finals. But it's hard to compare. So, in this case, we're going to go Jordan and LeBron because that's what you want to hear. Now, the media has propped them up to be the two guys compared to each other. Why? Because why is so many people getting overlooked? Why Why is Kareem not getting talked about when he has six rings and six MVPs and the most points of all time? Why is Magic not getting talked about when he is arguably by far the greatest player in his position and won a finals MVP as a rookie? Because the two players who have been the most popular in the history of the NBA are Michael Jordan and LeBron James. The media's cash cows in a way that they like to promote because people like to click on them. And now we have a new guy, Zion Williamson, that could be following in that same trajectory with the fact that the media loves to post about him. Why do I know this? Because, again, if you listen to my first episode, a guy from ESPN straight up told me there's the, the reason that they promote everything LeBron does. For example, LeBron's making tacos tonight, and it's on Bleacher Report. LeBron took a shower tonight, and it's on Bleacher Report. Why? Because everyone clicks on it. And I'm even guilty of it talking about it right now. 
Now, the reason why I think I'm the best person to give you this argument is because my favorite player growing up, and if you're watching the visual version of the podcast, you'll see that there is a LeBron jersey behind me because I was LeBron, one of LeBron's biggest fans. Remember when I said in the Laker podcast that I wasn't a huge fan of Kobe and LeBron resonated with my mentality and the way I liked basketball to be played more. And the main thing I liked about him was his electrifying dunks. The thing I always wanted when LeBron was playing was for him to steal the ball and be one-on-none on a fast break to do an incredible dunk. That's why I started liking him. And then he could pass too, and he always spoke up about his teammates. He was never cocky when he was in Cleveland the first time. So, that is why when the Clippers got eliminated, which was a lot, or didn't make the playoffs, I would always root for LeBron over anyone. I'd root for him like he was my own team. And I would cry a lot of times when he lost. So to tell you, I'm not biased. I used to be a LeBron fan. I see what you bronze sexuals, which I don't think I was because I still admitted when he did something wrong, but not as much as I would now without seeing things from a LeBron-centric lens. That's what we're going to talk about in this podcast. So this is mostly targeted for you LeBron fans who like to sit there jerking off for basketball reference stats all the time. So the first counter-argument that people use about LeBron over Jordan is, well, he's a better all-around player. He rebounds better and he can pass better, not taking defense into account at all. But you know what you want to ask me? You know what that means? Why isn't Larry Bird considered better than Jordan? Because he was a better rebounder, and he was a better passer. But no, no, no! Larry Bird is a white guy that's slow! Another ridiculous misconception the younger generation has created by picking and choosing random clips from the 80s that they like to choose. Now, recently, as I said in my last podcast, I watched a lot of the 1980 playoff games. One of the ones I watched was from the Eastern Conference Finals when Larry Bird was a rookie playing against one of the most athletic players in the history of the league that was guarding him, Dr. J. And he was busting his ass in this game. And he was still slower than him. He was still far less athletic than him. But guess what? There's a re- Michael Jordan came into the league and was far more athletic than him too. But he still couldn't beat him in the beginning of his career, which we will get to in a second. I wonder why. Maybe because you guys don't give Larry Bird enough credit because he's a white guy you like to think is slow. But okay. We'll get to that later. Anyway... LeBron James and Michael Jordan couldn't be more different. One has what you call the killer mentality or is not afraid to bully people at times. And LeBron has always been considered a nice guy. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to look at each of their careers counting in everything. And that means, uh, I'm sorry, teammates, their competition, and the decisions that they make and the way they go about games. And don't worry, I'll give you stats which you Bron fans love so much. Don't worry about that. And guess what? I'm not going to mention finals record not one time, not once, because I don't think you should be penalized for losing in the finals as opposed to losing earlier. You should always go as far as you can. Now, let's start with their rookie seasons. Now, the Bulls were, they both started out in shitty franchises in the Midwest, right? Recently, they were shitty before they came. In Mike's rookie season, the Bulls, or the season before Mike arrived, they were 27 and 55. When he got there, they immediately increased their win total by 11 games to 38 and, 40, 38 and 44. Now, you're wondering, who did, Le- who did Jordan have on his team when he first came to the Bulls? Well, his best player was Orlando Woolridge, who averaged 19 a game. He was never an all-star, but he was a solid scorer. But when Mike came, he increased his average to 23 a game. But Mike never makes players better, right? Okay. Jordan in his rookie year averaged 28 
six and a half rebounds, and six assists on 51% from the field. Obviously, one rookie of the year. Those are ridiculous numbers. And one thing you're going to notice in this is that I'm not going to compare their three-point percentages because when Mike got into the league, the three-point line was only a thing for five years. So growing up, Michael Jordan didn't shoot threes like no one was shooting threes. That just wasn't a thing. And LeBron, you can see how his game has evolved as he's become a better shooter over the years as the game has evolved. So once again, you are a product of your environment. This bullshit imaginary time machine stuff where you put players in each generation? No. Everybody adjusts their games to their style. For example, Stephen Curry learned from his dad, from great shooters before him. Ray Allen, Reggie Miller. You can just plop him in because there are other rules that you guys don't know about that they would get called for that you can't do back then, that you can do now, but we're not going to get into that. We'll save that for a future podcast. So we're just going to compare them. You compare players amongst their peers. So that's what we're going to do here. So in that rookie season that Michael Jordan played, there were three teams in the Eastern Conference above 58 wins, or 58 wins or more. So Michael Jordan just sneaking into the playoffs. Who does he play in the first round? A Milwaukee Bucks team, which brings us to one of the first teams that Mike plays that no one talks about because they didn't win, even though they were extremely competitive in the 80s. So who'd they play? Terry Cummings, who was a two-time All-Star and averaged 23 points a game and nine rebounds. And then Sidney Moncrief, who you saw in the last dance, he's the first defensive player of the year ever. He's won the award twice and in his 11 seasons was an All-Star five times who averaged 22-5-5 this year. Jordan lost in the first round of the playoffs his rookie year, but nonetheless, he still increased his scoring average in the playoffs. And that's something we're going to talk about. Uh, Do LeBron or Jordan increase their averages in the playoffs because one thing you'll notice about star players is you always step it up in the playoffs as you hear the guys on inside the NBA saying all the time a prime example of this Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan on Toronto they used to always either decrease their scoring average in the playoffs or stay the same why because maybe they weren't as much of stars as people made them out to be Prime example, last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, the MVP of the league, Giannis Antetokounmpo, dropped his PPG by five points while Kawhi averaged 30. One won the championship, the other is still figuring out how to do it. So we're going to look at that throughout this comparison. So now we go to LeBron's rookie year. And when you say we need to be fair, LeBron came out from high school. So he's not as NBA ready as Jordan per se. He comes to a Cleveland team that won only 17 games the season before, and immediately when he arrives, they win 35, an 18-game increase. That's impressive. And who did LeBron come? uh, Who was on the Cavs when LeBron came? Of course, we had Carlos Boozer, but he hadn't developed into that all-star with the Jazz yet. Zydrunas Elgauskas. I know what you LeBron fans are going to do. Laugh. Oh, he was never good without LeBron. Well, wrong. He was an all-star the year before LeBron came, averaging 17 a game. But why would you think he would make the All-Star team when there are such few or when they have won such few games? Maybe because the East was kind of trash. And don't worry, that's not the last time he'd be an All-Star. He was an All-Star in 2005 as well with LeBron. But Zajunas Elgowska's scoring average dropped from 17 to 15 when LeBron came. But LeBron makes everyone better, right? There's a difference between getting people open shots and making their shots easier and actually making them better. I need concrete evidence for what makes them, what makes LeBron make someone a better player. Okay? I understand sacrificing your stats for the betterment of the team. LeBron can help you win more, but I need evidence to show he's making people better. Now, LeBron averages 21, five and a half rebounds, and six assists on 42% shooting. He only leads his team in points his rookie year, and they don't make the playoffs. But it's okay, he's a rookie. Now, the second season for Jordan, 
is the year that we saw in the last dance where he broke his foot and played barely any of the season and was held to 14-minute restrictions. That's why his stats are complete outliers for this season and don't look the same as any of his other years. So, Michael Jordan snuck in the playoffs somehow with 30 wins, even though he missed basically the whole season. And they got Iceman George Gervin. I know what you're thinking, Iceman, oh my god. This is not the same Iceman that was MVP in the 1980 season. This is Iceman in his last season of his career, only averaging 16 a game. So who do they play in the first round? One of the greatest teams in NBA history. The 86 Celtics with, guess who, Larry Bird, a super team. And when we say super teams, guys, we're going to, for my criteria of it, three all-stars or more. So Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, a former finals MVP in Dennis Johnson, but I bet you didn't know that. One of the better role players, I think, in the history of the game, Danny Ainge, who we're going to be talking about a lot more as this goes on. And Bill Walton, the sixth man of the year, off the bench. To give you some perspective, the Celtics went 40-1 and at TD Garden that year and ended up winning the championship. You can play with that team in 2K because they're one of the greatest single-season teams ever. And, of course, Jordan got swept. Just to give you a little example of who he played in the first round, Michael Jordan. But that didn't stop Mike. Everyone always likes to use this narrative of they didn't have enough help. Well, if you didn't have enough help, you need to give me everything. You need to improve your stats. You need to give me everything you have in the tank to show that it wasn't just your fault. Because the first person when you lose that needs to be looked at is the best player. Are they giving it their all? And if they're not, the problems start from the top. If they are, then we look at the supporting cast. In this case, Michael Jordan, as everyone knows, scored 63 points, a record that still stands to this day in the playoffs, and averaged 44 points a game for the series in which he got swept. But 44 points a game. But he got swept. He lost. It doesn't matter. Now we go to LeBron's second season. The Cavs increased their record to 42-40. and 40. The East is more spread out this year. So the, they still don't even make the playoffs. Actually, they lose a tiebreaker. And they only the only great teams in the conference are Miami and Detroit. The, the uh, Cavs added Drew Gooden, who would be a piece of their run later down the line. LeBron's stats increased significantly to 27 points, 7.4 boards, and 7 assists on 42% shooting. That's pretty incredible increase for a one, just one year difference. And I'm not denying his development, but I wonder what rule was implemented in 2004-05 to allow players to score a little bit easier. Hmm. The outlawing of hand-checking. That's a big point. Seven points? Let's not act like that had no implications on the future because nowadays, look what the NBA has become 15 years after that rule was stopped. Something that Michael Jordan had to play with his entire career. Not to mention the bigs were a lot better and were packing the paint. People, the three-point line had just been introduced. One thing you'll notice about my comparison here is I'm not going to bring up their three-point percentages. One, because neither of them have become a great three-point shooter. LeBron only in the last couple of years has changed his game. Once again, a product of his environment. The three-point line was introduced in 1979. So Michael Jordan grew up most of his life not seeing a three, like that wasn't a thing, three-pointers. So even though he was still better than most in terms of shooting for scoring that at that much of a clip, he wasn't one of those pure shooters like a Danny Ainge. He was a very good shooter, far better than LeBron when he first came into his career. And let's talk about LeBron's game when he first came into his career. LeBron's game reminds me a lot of a better version of Giannis. He was all athleticism, 110 miles per hour all the time. He had a very streaky jumper. He had the illusion that he could hit it, unlike Giannis, who literally you dare to shoot. But LeBron was still very streaky. You don't believe me? Well, we're going to have evidence going forward. Anyway, so that was LeBron's second year. Now we go to year number three. Jordan loses both George Gervin and Orlando Woolridge. 
and he wins 40 games, loses 42, and listen to these stats. 37 points, 5 rebounds, 4.6 assists, 48% shooting, and guess what? All 82 games played. 37 points? As a third year in that era? Are you fucking kidding me? And what happens? The next best score on the team only averaged 14 and a half. But once again, the East had four teams with 50 plus wins. And guess who the Bulls played again? The defending champion Celtics. Once again, Jordan increased his playoff average to 36 a game. And they lost. Actually, I wouldn't even say increase. He dropped it by one. But 36 points a game. I mean, take your pick against that team. Now we go to Cleveland. Third year. This is when it all change. Changes. The Cavs added Larry Hughes, who had just come off averaging 22 points a game for the Wizards, who were a second-round team the year before, but he comes to an even worse team, and his averages drop by seven. I know he had injuries this season, but that's a little peculiar because LeBron makes everyone better, right? Anyway, the Cavs still also add, before we get into their record, which was 50-32, and 32, they were the only 51 team besides Detroit and Miami, but clearly the weak link of the three. Now, they add two shooters. Damon Jones, and Danielle Marshall. Spot-up shooters is going to be a common theme of this uh, episode, guys, so stay tuned for that. The Cavs win their 50 games. LeBron has an unbelievable season, 31 a game, 7, uh, seven rebounds, 6.6 assists on 48% shooting. Now, you'd think that leads the league in scoring probably, but Kobe actually averaged 35 that year and led the league, and Iverson 33. For whatever reason, 06 was a very, a lot of players averaged 30-plus for whatever reason. And this is when I come in as a fan and can give you a better opinion because I started watching basketball this season and I've watched every single series of LeBron's career from this point forward. Actually, no, this is just every series of LeBron's career as a LeBron fan. And in this series, he was electric. A triple-double in his first game, a game-winning layup in game three, another game-winning layup in game five, and in game six, Damon Jones, game-winner from a LeBron assist to eliminate who? A very solid Washington Wizards team with Gilbert Arenas, an all-star, Antoine Jameson, another all-star, and Karam Butler one year before he became an all-star. So what does this mean? The Wizards have three all-star caliber players and Cleveland just has LeBron. The Wizards probably have a better overall team, but why did the Cavs win? Because in the sport of basketball, unlike any other, there are only five people on the court. So one person has such an influence on the game. A player like LeBron can get the rebound, go the length of the floor, and create a basket for his team, unlike in football or unlike in soccer. So one player, oftentimes, if you play the best in the series, you will end up winning the series. And LeBron did exactly that in this series. And then he goes to the second round to play Detroit, a Detroit Pistons team that had Chauncey, Tayshon, Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace, and Rasheed Wallace. And somehow... Somehow the Cavs are up 3-2, going back to Cleveland for game six. This is a chance for LeBron to end them one game. And what are LeBron's stats in game six? 32-11-5. Oh, my God, that's so good. Let's look a little deeper. Eight of 20 from the field, one of five from three, seven turnovers, and his 15 points were off free throws. So almost half his points are free throws, which is actually surprising because the one weakness LeBron's had his entire career was free throw shooting where he's always in the mid-70s. And 
of course, they lose the momentum there. And in Game 7, the whole team only dropped 61. So LeBron had a little chance, but because his team was so much worse and they really shouldn't have even been in the position to be in that uh, position to win, we're not going to count it against him. So let's go to your four. The Bulls finally get Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, my God, this is the whole flaw in your argument. The second Scottie comes, they're good. Pump the brakes a bit. Horace Grant only averaged eight points and five and a half rebounds coming off the bench this first year. And Scottie Pippen didn't start one game for the Bulls and was the seventh leading scorer on the team, only averaging eight points. Mike, on the other hand, had the season of his career at this point, averaging 35, five and a half rebounds, six assists, three steals, a block and a half, shooting 53%, won Defensive Player of the Year and MVP, and played every fucking game. That is what I call greatness. So now, who do they play? They played the Cavaliers first round. But who are they? The Cavs were never good before LeBron, right? Wrong. And this brings us to our first team that everyone likes to sleep on. Actually, second, because we talked about the Bucks. Who was the Cleveland Cavaliers' leading scorer of all time before LeBron? Well, it was a guy by the name of Brad Doherty. He was a five-time All-Star in his eight years to go alongside Larry Nance Sr., who was a three-time All-Star as well, and, of course, Mark Price, who was a four-time All-Star. But don't worry, we'll be talking about those guys a lot as this goes on. Ron Harper was also on the team. I know you recognize the name because he won championships later with the Bulls and the Lakers. He averaged 23 points a game as a rookie. This was his second year. He missed 30 games, but he still averaged a good 16. So this is very similar to the Wizards scenario. The, the Cavs are the better team, way more well-rounded, but the Bulls have the better player. And once again, MJ increases his scoring average in the playoffs from 35 to 36 with equal field goal shooting over 50%. When you want to talk about LeBron being more efficient, and they beat them in five. And then they play a series that was not talked about in the last dance, the first defeat to the bad boys, four games to one. Just for reference, those bad boys ended up going to the championship and losing a game seven in the forum to the Lakers. The, the Pistons that LeBron lost to, well, they ended up losing in the next round to Dwayne Wade. And Dwayne Wade went on to win the championship and averaged 35 a game in his third year. But wait, he had Shaq though, he had Shaq. Let's pump it again. This is not the same Shaq that played with Kobe that averaged 30 and 13 in the finals. Shaq's numbers in the finals this year were 14 points and 10 boards. Am I acting like he wasn't relevant? Am I acting like he wasn't a star? Fuck no. But 35 points a game by Wade? It's time to give him a little more credit, guys. So now we go to year four with Braun. They have the same record, but the East has been opened up a little bit. Dwayne Wade dislocates his shoulder, and all the supporting players in the Heat are starting to get older. So the Cavs finish with the same record as they did the previous year, but they're the second seed. Who's still the first? The Detroit Pistons. But what a lot of people don't remember about this Pistons team is they lost a very big piece. Ben Wallace, who was a multi-defensive player of the year and was gone now. So that opens it up a little bit. And LeBron beats the Wizards, and let me just uh, clarify, the Wizards, who Gilbert Arenas and Karam Butler were both injured for the first round, they swept with ease, obviously, and then he played against the Nets, who were actually another good team, Vince Carter, Jason Kidd, and Richard Jefferson, once again, and they beat him in six, which makes me think, damn, I never watched this series from a Nets fan perspective, why did Vince Carter, Jason Kidd, and RJ lose to Braun? Is it just because LeBron was so much better than them? Possibly. I mean, he definitely had to have outplayed him in the series, but maybe we're not giving the supporting cast enough credit. Nonetheless, LeBron wins and gets to the conference finals against the one seed. 
and this is straight from his Wikipedia, guys. Ready? Despite gaining some momentum in the opening games of the series against the experienced Pistons, key last-second decisions by James led to Cleveland losses in games 1 and 2 in Detroit by identical scores where Cleveland led for most of the games. Now, what they're referring to, and once again, you guys can check all my sources. I'm going to be posting every single link to most of the things I'm saying. The stats are all off basketball reference, but all the other things, I'm going to be posting a link to my YouTube version of the video so you don't think I'm just capping on all this shit. But LeBron gets the ball. They're down two. Hard drive left, gets the step on Tayshaun Prince. Basically has an open, like, semi-contested lefty layup. Rashid Wallace is rotating over, but he is late. You have to see the clip. He is not blocking this shit. And LeBron... Passes it to a wide open Daniel Marshall in the corner for three. Wide open. And he misses. And this began something that would be a recurring theme in LeBron's career of passing up the potential game-tying or game-winning shot. But the LeBron fans will say he's making the right basketball play. Well, here's the thing about the right basketball play. When you're the best player on the team and you have a layup... What's the right basketball play? This isn't the regular season where you gamble and go for the win because, you know, it's just one game. This is the fucking conference finals. Go for the layup, especially when LeBron's ambidextrous and writes with his left hand. Anyway, it's okay because in game two, he gets in the exact same scenario with the same scoreline. And you know what he does? He shoots some bullshit, but he shoots. So I can't get mad at him for that. Can't be too hypocritical here. He misses. Larry Hughes gets an open foul line jumper on the rebound and misses as well. So from LeBron doing that, and forcing a shot, he even got an even better shot than he got in game one just from being aggressive. But they go down 2 nothing. But the whole series now changes. LeBron and the Cavs win the games in Cleveland, and then, of course, there's the famous game five where LeBron went, I should maybe even say, Jordan mode here and willed his team to victory in one of the best playoff performances ever. Now, I remember watching this game being so happy about it, and a lot of people like to think that this is when LeBron became the best player in the league. My friends, there's a something that makes you the best in anything that you do, and that is consistency. And that mentality that LeBron showed on that night has not been consistent over the course of his career. But before you say, what are you talking about? Don't worry, we're going to get there. LeBron gets to game six, and they win the series. They somehow upset the Pistons incredibly, even though the Pistons had a better team. So now LeBron gets to the finals with, and this is where the more with less argument started. So let's dive into that. LeBron plays against the Spurs in the finals. The Spurs, who were granted better than the Pistons, but the Pistons were better than the Cavs. But LeBron's stats against the Pistons were 26 points, 9 rebounds, 8.5 assists. What are they against the Spurs? 22 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, 5.7 turnovers, and he shot in an abysmal 35%. Now, I know what your excuse is going to be, but his team is so much worse, but his team is so much worse. Where was that against Detroit? He was able to will them to victory there, but he's not even able to get a game off San Antonio. Now, is it his fault that they lost? Fuck no. But for nothing? Now, I'm going to pull up a quote from Game 4 with the nine, at the 9.51 mark of the first quarter from one of your favorite commentators, Mike Breen. James knocks down a mid-range shot, which he has knocked on all series. Jeff Van Gundy says, Before that, he missed 16 straight shots from outside the paint. That tells you everything you need to know about what I said earlier about LeBron not being offensively polished and being mostly adrenaline. Anyway, he gets to the finals, he loses. Big overachieving season for the the Cavs anyway. Now we go to year five. The Bulls make the famous trade 
that trades Oakley for Cartwright, which allows Horace Grant to start at the four, and Scottie Pippen now starts most games and averages 14 points a game. Mike takes his averages to the next level, leading the league in scoring for his third straight year. Mind you, he would go on to win seven straight scoring titles and averaged 32.5 points a game, eight rebounds, eight assists, 54% from the field, and played every game. Now, to put that into perspective, those are Kobe Bryant-level scoring numbers with LeBron rebounds and assists with his efficiency. LeBron in his entire career, and Michael Jordan can't pass, apparently. LeBron James in his entire career has never had a season where he's averaged 30-plus points to go along with 8-8 eight and eight of assists and rebounds. He's never done it. Michael Jordan did, and this is when he had the ball constantly. And guess what about his Eastern Conference this year? The seventh seed had 46-plus wins. The seventh seed. That's like the West right now. And he had to beat two higher-seeded teams, the Cavs, and this is the year he made that famous game-winner against the Cavs, the, the shot. Mind you, if he had missed that shot, they would have been done in the first round. But he hit it. And he also hit the shot before Craig Elo made the go-ahead layup too. So two buckets in the last 20 seconds of the game. Then he beat the Knicks, who are a very good team, and they're going to be a recurring theme as well, with Patrick Ewing, John Starks, who was an all-star at one point of his career, and was, even though only an all-star one time, it should tell you a lot that this team was so significant. Starks was one of their better players for years. That tells you what kind of impact he had. And, of course, Mark Jackson, who does you know ESPN games for us on the daily now, was, uh, was one of the more underrated players in NBA history, one of the great passers of the game, was an all-star one time. Actually, it was this year, actually. And he actually is... Uh, Fourth all-time in assists, even above Magic Johnson? Yeah, that's Mark Jackson. And, of course, they had Oakley now. But the Bulls still beat them and then played against the Pistons where they lost for a second time in a row. And, of course, Michael Jordan increased his playoff average again. Shift it. Now we go to the 07-08 season for LeBron. The Cavs get Ben Wallace, the guy that beat LeBron in 06, and get a spot-up shooter in Wally Zerbiak, another spot-up shooter, and a guy that can spot-up shoot but take some pressure off LeBron in Delonte West. The East got better because of the introduction of the big three Celtics, and the Cavaliers get back to the second round after beating Washington for a third consecutive year. And now they take them to seven, and LeBron has an unbelievable Game 7, pushing the Celtics to the brink of defeat, but the Celtics get over the hump. LeBron, like, I'm not going to fault him at all for this one at all. I think he gave it his all in that game seven. But to look at his season stats, they were 38-7. and seven, And in the playoffs, 28 on 41% shooting. So once again, they dropped. But we're not going to hold it, against, hold it against him again. And now we go to year six for Jordan. 89-90. Phil Jackson arrives. And you see before, his numbers were very similar to LeBron. 32-8-8. and eight, Even better than LeBron, really. Why? Because the ball was always in his hands. So when you guys think that Jordan couldn't do everything like LeBron, he could, but that wasn't going to help them win games. So he needed to embrace his role, score first, and facilitate through the looks or the uh, attention you get as a scorer. And Scottie Pippen, who's a lot more similar to LeBron in play style than Jordan, he's got the, he, obviously LeBron's bigger and he's better, but he's got that rebounding side of him. He's got that facilitating side of him. He's got the similar height and body frame. Scottie Pippen is a lot like LeBron. Now, Michael still averages 33 a game, 7 boards, 6 assists, 3 steals, shoots 52%. The team wins 55 games, and 
There's four teams above 52 wins in the East this year, counting the Bulls. They get to the conference finals again, and for the third consecutive year, they lose to the bad boys, who end up winning the championship again. Scottie Pippen, the famous migraine game in Game 7. Now, this is also the first year that Scottie Pippen was an all-star. So when one of you guys say, well, he never did shit without Pippen, or he never did anything without Pippen, you have to understand when Pippen became an all-star. And this was this year. To put things into perspective a little more, nowadays when a team loses to the same team three years in a row, we have a lot of, oh, they should break it up. Oh, they can't get over the hump. Back then, Michael Jordan was never going to say that. It was going to be, how do we get better? How do we come back stronger? How do we get over the hump? Not, oh man, I don't know if I can win with these guys. This Pistons team is too hard for me to beat. Anyway, let's shift it over. 0809, the Cavs get someone that really helps LeBron. A star, a potential star, Mo Williams. And this is the first example of LeBron really making a player better with evidence. He was an all-star for the only time in his career. And of course, Mo Williams is a good addition because not only can he score a little bit with the ball, he's not too much of a creator of, as a point guard. He's more of a spot-up shooter scorer, which works perfectly with LeBron. And they go 66-16, and 16, an unbelievable record. LeBron has worse stats than the previous year, but he still averages 28-8-7. and seven, And they have the one seed. And a lot of LeBron fans try to say that LeBron's the most valuable player wherever he goes, this and that. You see, the most valuable player in the NBA award should really be renamed the player of the season because the way somebody wins is what are your expectations before the season? Do you meet those or overachieve? You'll never see someone that finishes worse than they are expected before the season to win MVP. In this case, Kobe Bryant was still the best player in the NBA. If you watch basketball, you know that's a fact. And in this season, it was at the forefront because LeBron's team was finally, you know, record-wise comparable with Kobe and Kobe literally torched him in both regular season games. You know why I know this? Because I watched him rooting for LeBron and started crying when I realized Kobe was actually better than him at basketball. But because LeBron's young, I just hope one day he would be better than him. Regardless, if you want to talk about who's the most valuable player this year statistically, Dwayne Wade averaged more points, more assists, and shot a better percentage than LeBron and Kobe. And he made the playoffs. And guess who his second best player was? Michael Beasley, a rookie who averaged 14 points. So you know what that tells you? Winning is part of the equation. And that's why LeBron deservedly won MVP. So who do they play in the playoffs? The Pistons without now Billups and Ben Wallace. They sweep them pretty easily. And they play against the Atlanta Hawks with Joe Johnson and Josh Smith. Beat them easily. Sweep both teams. And then they go and play against the Orlando Magic in the conference finals. LeBron still has amazing stats. He increases his averages, but they lose in six. The Magic just seem to have too many weapons for him. LeBron's the best player in the series. He had that big game winner in game two. But if he had missed that shot, they would have gone down 2-0 in the series. So once again, we're not going to fault LeBron because he's doing all he can. So now we go to year seven. Michael Jordan now, 61 wins. MVP for the second time. Scottie Pippen actually wasn't an all-star. But am I going to sit in front of you here and tell you that the Bulls won a championship without a real all-star because Scottie Pippen didn't make it in 91 because he had one of the biggest snubs in NBA history? No, because I'm going to be fair to LeBron as well. That's an all-star, Scottie Pippen. Jordan averages 31-6-6 on 54% shooting. They go into the playoffs. They beat the brakes off the Pistons for nothing, as we all know. And then that takes us to one of the big points that LeBron fans love to make. Well, Jordan had played against not any great teams in the finals. Let's start with number one, the Los Angeles Lakers. You see, ladies and gentlemen, 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar may have been gone, but everyone has this opinion because one year later he stopped playing because of HIV that Magic Johnson was like old and slow. The Magic Man that's still the best point guard of all time and was second in MVP voting behind Michael? Yeah, that guy. Uh, big game James Worthy, who was still an all-star and basically in his prime? Yeah, that guy. AC Green and Michael Thompson, who were key reserves to the Showtime days, as well as Byron Scott, who was still averaging 15, not the 22 points a game he averaged in 88, for those that don't know. And, of course, the sharpshooting four, Sam Perkins, who came off the... Actually, he may have started. I don't know if he came off the bench or not. That was also that is also going to be mentioned later on the 96 Sonics. But nobody knows who those guys are. Those guys are. And I'm not even talking about Vladi Divac, who everyone knows better now as a bad exec for the Kings, or the guy who tipped the ball out to Robert Ory, or the guy that was traded for Kobe, who was actually a second-year center replacing the best ever and helping Magic get to the finals. So and he was also an all-star at one point of his career too. But that team was easy to beat for sure. You know, the Bulls had never been to the finals, and the Lakers had been a bunch of times, but it was an easy win for the Bulls. I watched Game 3. They didn't talk about this in the last dance. They just talked about it as the Paxson game. If you watch the second half of the game, in the third quarter, Magic Johnson is literally running the show like he's the best player on planet fucking Earth. And then guess what happens? With like 20 seconds, 10 seconds left in the game, Pippen gets fouled out and the Lakers go up by two. What does MJ do? I can't believe they didn't show this in the last dance either. Comes up the length of the floor, pulls up for a jumper contested, and hits it. Ties the game, and they win in overtime. Big plays, baby. And they go on to win 4-1. And now, the kicker. Michael Jordan's final stats. 31 points, 7 rebounds, and wait for it, 11 assists. But Michael Jordan can't pass, right? Like LeBron? LeBron's never averaged 11 assists in the finals that he's won ever. Not to mention he averaged 56% from the field and 50% from three. But here's the thing. I said before, I'm not going to mention three-pointers because guess how many he shot? Only four. So it's misleading and I'm not, it's irrelevant. But that whole run, 15-2 and two playoffs, playoff record, the Bulls get their first championship. Now let's shift over to LeBron's seventh year. They replace Ben Wallace with an old Shaquille O'Neal and get Candace Parker's brother, Anthony. Another spot-up shooter. Huh. And then they get a trade to get Antoine Jameson, who was averaging 20 and a half points a game with Washington that same exact season. But when he came to the Cavs, he dropped his scoring average by four. But LeBron makes everyone better, right? Well, once again, I know, sacrifice. LeBron has an unbelievable season, 30 points, seven boards, eight assists, 50% shooting, which is his first time shooting 50% or more and won MVP deservedly so again. In the first round, they played against Derrick Rose in his sophomore year and beat him 4-1, and then he played against an extremely difficult... Fuck, I'm like blanking on this one, actually. Whatever. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is the round that they lost. They're playing the Celtics. My bad. They're playing the Celtics. And let's just look at these stats. Of course, LeBron was outmatched, but I actually got to watch game five because during quarantine, they were showing it on NBA TV, and I noticed things I didn't notice before. Listen to these stats. Game one, LeBron has 35. They win. Mind you, the Cavs had home court advantage for this series. Game two, he had 24. They lost. Game three, 38. They win. Game, five, game four, 22. They lose. So it's almost as if when LeBron scores 30 or more, they win, and when he doesn't, they lose. But, 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 LeBron's a pass-first guy. He's a pl- pass-first guy. Okay, 
What the fuck does that mean, though? Because he still averages the most points wherever he goes. A pass-first guy is like a Magic Johnson. But Larry Bird is the best comparison I can make because he's a pass-first guy. But when it came down to the end of the game, we knew where the ball was going. Larry Legend. LeBron? Well, I guess I don't know. And now the kicker. Game 5 in Cleveland. You basically have to win this game because if you don't, Boston's going to finish you. And what does LeBron put up? Because Tony Allen's guarding him, and LeBron's not good enough to do anything against Tony Allen because all they're doing is backing off five feet away from him and forcing him to get rid of the ball to these other spot-up shooters who are literally only spot-up shooter shooters because LeBron wants to control everything. 15 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 turnovers, 3 of 14 from the field, 21% shooting. Are you fucking serious? That's what you do? That's how you play your last game for Cleveland? You know, when you want to make excuses that someone's playing against a super team, you have to tell me that they did everything they could. Like when Michael Jordan played against the 86 Bull, 86 Celtics like we just talked about, he averaged 44 points and lost. Not that ridiculousness. But of course, seven years have gone by and LeBron really hasn't had a real all-star. And now we go to year eight. And one thing you'll notice a trend for most players is once you win a championship, your confidence just grows. And that was the case in 92 when the Bulls won 67 games. Jordan won his third MVP and another scoring title with the classic 36-6 average. There were four 51-plus win teams in the East again, including the Knicks who they met in the second round, who have obviously gotten a little better and some continuity from the last time they played. But and took them seven games, but the cat or the Bulls just edged them out. And then, of course, they played the Cavs in the conference finals, who had three all stars on the year Mark Price, Brad Doherty, and Larry Nance. But no one wants to talk about the Cavs because they never won a championship. Because you know why? Because when you don't win a championship, it's fucking irrelevant 20 years later, seemingly to the casual fan. And then now we go to number two of how many teams Jordan played in the playoffs that weren't very good. The Portland Trailblazers. Now, to put into perspective, three years consecutively, the Blazers won 57-plus games, including the finals, which they lost in 90 to the Bad Boys, and then the previous year, 91, they lost in the conference finals to the team that the Bulls beat, the Lakers. Now they're back again. And, of course, we all know about the second-best shooting guard in the league at the time, Clyde Drexler, so I I don't even have to talk about him. But then there's Terry Porter. Someone that nobody talks about. And this is one of the most, he is one of the most underrated players to ever play basketball. A two-time All-Star on either side of this year. And he averaged 18 points a game. But why wasn't he an All-Star this year, you might ask? You know the three point guards that made it to the All-Star team over him? John Stockton, Tim Hardaway Sr., and a special guest, Magic Johnson, who was invited after he retired from HIV. That's why Terry Porter didn't make the All-Star team. And you know who else didn't make it? Kevin Johnson, who we're going to talk about later, who averaged 20 and 10 this season on a 50, I think 52 win team. But no one wants to talk about Terry Porter. But wait, I'm not done. How about the two-time All-Star Kevin Duckworth? He couldn't make the All-Star team because they has David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Dikembe Mutombo. How about a three-time All-Star, Buck Williams, who in each of his first seven years in the league averaged 15 and 10 at least. And he sacrificed to play with this Blazers team and averaged 11 and 9 and brought that toughness. But nobody wants to talk about him because they don't know about him. And then Jerome Kersey, the late great Jerome Kersey, one of the great role players who all of them speak highly of. And then, of course, the two bench players that everyone likes, Danny Ainge, who's back in the mix, and then... Cliff Robinson, who, if you watch Survival, you're, Survivor, you'll remember him 
from season 28, Cliff Robinson was a six-man of the year the following year after this and an all-star the year after that. So right here, he's starting to burst onto the scene. That's who Jordan played in the finals. That trash team or not very good that he beat in six. You know why? Because Jordan outperformed everyone, including Drexler. And that's his second ring. And now we go to the year that changed basketball forever. The offseason of 2010. So the Cavs, not just LeBron, because everyone wants to say, you know, the Cavs plummeted after LeBron, obviously. They also lost Shaq. They also lost Big Z and Delonte. But most importantly, they lost the nucleus of everything, LeBron. LeBron had a decision to make. There was another route he could have went that may have ended up better for his reputation and had better implications on his career of winning rings long term, but I'll bring that up later. But everyone knows what he did. He chose to go to Miami and play with his friends. He asked them, let's like, yo, let's play together. Thus starting something, a culture that has changed the game forever. And it's not like we haven't had super teams before. That's where people get this shit twisted. The, the Celtics I was just talking about were a super team. But it's not just choosing where you go. It's choosing who he's playing with. And of course, for LeBron was the hero. And after doing this, he became the villain that was booed in every arena and started to become the most scrutinized athlete maybe in the history of America. And that is because he did a one-hour television special of his decision, basically rubbing salt in the Cavs fans' wounds and they're waiting. I mean, imagine being a Cavs fan waiting all night, going to the bar, let's see when LeBron re-signs with us, and he bails, and you're left with nothing. I mean, that's just really hard to hear. And I know LeBron regrets this, and this is one of the things he regrets. And one of the things that even when I was a LeBron fan, I said he did wrong. But to make it even worse, in a press conference before he even plays a game with Miami, he goes, not one, not two, not three, not six, not seven championship rings that they're going to win together. I know it's a joke, but everyone in the league is watching that like, oh, you talking a lot now, guy. Well, guess what happened? Just... 17 games into the season, the Heat were 9-8. and eight. And when everybody likes to say another counter-argument, well, LeBron never played for a good coach. Well, he came and played for Eric Spolstra. And nine years have gone by, people. I think we know how good of a coach Eric Spolstra is by now. But at the time, he'd never done shit in terms of winning. So LeBron, and this is directly from the New York Daily News, there's a quote. There is a report that Miami Heat players are frustrated with their coach and question whether he's the right man for the star-studded team. And now, in 2018, Pat Riley came out and said LeBron wanted Spolster gone and for Pat Riley to take over just like he did in 06, thus giving LeBron the coach killer, you know, phrase attached to his name. And there's a clip, once again, I'm going to post in my the sources, of LeBron literally bumping his shoulder into Eric Spolster when he calls a timeout. I mean, you're a player and you're bumping your new coach, dude. Okay. And then the ultimate, the Cavs. And you know what? And you know what I love about this is for once and so far in his career, the Miami Heat are a world-class organization. Pat Riley didn't let LeBron step over him and just do what he wanted. He said, you know what? No, Eric's our guy. I'm not moving anywhere. You better learn how to play with him. And that's that. And guess what happened? He did. And the Heat won 58 games. But a lot of LeBron fans say that D. Rose shouldn't have won MVP. Once again, the Bulls had a better record. They went from the 8th seed to the 1 seed with just one addition, Carlos Boozer. D. Rose won MVP averaging 25 points as a third-year player. 
And Carlos Boozer, here's the kicker, guys. Carlos Boozer missed 23 games. Joakim Noah missed 34. And you're still telling me that when the Bulls had a better record that LeBron should have won MVP. That's hypocritical because if you want to say the numbers are better, then D-Wade should have won MVP in 09. So take that for some data, as David Fisdale would say. But we all know the deal. The best player performs in the playoffs. And in the first round, the Heat play the very tough Andre Iguodala and young Lou Williams in the first round. Beat them in five. And then they play against the Celtics. Now, the Celtics have changed a little bit from the previous year because Kendrick Perkins, who was a big piece of their team, and a lot of Celtics fans go on record saying that if they had Perkins in Game 7 of the Finals the previous year, they would have won. They trade Perkins for Jeff Green, but Jeff Green has heart problems, so he can't play those first two years. So basically, the the, the uh, Celtics traded Perkins for honestly nothing, and LeBron beats them 4-1. LeBron and Wade, who are the best two players in the series, they beat them 4-1. But the main thing I noticed about LeBron was in Game 4 and 5, he closed the game like I really had never seen before. He had this look in his eye, and he carried that over when he played the MVP in the next round. He closed out multiple games. I was like, this is it, guys. LeBron's going to, he finally got his good team. He's finally going to show everyone he's determined to win. I mean, he was being clutch. Go pull up that footage. But then something unprecedented happened. The worst finals performance of any star in the history of the NBA finals. Let's just take it to game two where the Heat had a 1-0 lead in the series. They blow an 18-point lead. Dwayne Wade scores 36 points. LeBron James scores 20, only has four assists, and turns the ball over five times. They bounce back and win in game three, and then in game four, we have what a lot of people say is the reason he shouldn't even be compared to Jordan. Like, that's it. Like, the argument's over. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and continue. But in game four, he scored eight points. Not in one quarter, in the whole fucking game. Eight points. 0 of 1 in the fourth with a turnover. But guess what Dwayne Wade had in the fourth? Seven points on three of five shooting, and the Heat only lost by three. 18, 7, and 7 in the entire series. LeBron was a joke. And you know what that tells me? He was still bigger and stronger. He was still more of an all-around player than Kobe. But what does that mean when he doesn't get over the hump? There is a stat, my friends, or a variable that is not measured in stats and you can only see by watching the game, and that is confidence. It is something that carries over in life with anything that you do, and if you've played sports, you know it's everything. And Michael Jordan mastered the confidence game, something that LeBron has lacked throughout his career. There's levels to this shit. He obviously has more confidence than a lot of players in the league, but when you compare him to guys like Jordan, to Larry, to Kobe, that is a Abysmal. A disgrace. And you know what's funny is nobody was putting Mike LeBron in any top conversation when this happened. Do you know why? Because he has to win. That is the name of the game. So that's pathetic. So this more with less argument is completely over now. Because if you're saying that if you're saying that he did more with less, that's implying that when he gets more, he can win it because he's got the better team with the better players. Well, he did, and he lost because he could not break through a 2-3 zone because he had no fucking jumper, unlike Jordan. And you know what? You're going to say, oh, but there was no zones when Jordan played. You're a product of your environment. There's a reason why everyone's starting to shoot more threes now 19 years after zone and hand-checking, and the freedom of movement, and the game has been... The league wanted to free up the game and make it a more aesthetically pleasing experience, 
by making it more offensive-minded than that gritty, slow, half-court pack the paint that they had in the 90s, which tells you a little bit more about how hard it is to score if you're Jordan. And obviously, if you think that Michael Jordan wouldn't adjust his style if there was more three-shot, then you're insulting his work ethic. Anyway, so LeBron sucked there. So now let's go to the ninth year, 93, a three-peat. Any fan, we've never seen it in fi- my 15 years watching basketball. We've never seen a three-peat. The last time it happened was the Lakers. The Heat were close, but we're going to get into that. But every single year, all these players say, when you want to repeat, it gets harder every year. The Bulls finished with a worse record than they did the previous year, 57-25. and 25. Mike still does his shit, 32-7-6, three steals, 50%. They play against the Cavs again with their three All-Stars again on the same year. They beat them. And then we have the 93 series where Jordan got in the whole gambling thing when they were down 2-0 in the conference finals against the Knicks. And they come back and beat them because Jordan goes crazy. And then we're at team number three. The Phoenix Suns. Who had a better record than the Bulls. But that's just not even it. Because everyone just thinks they played Charles Barkley and that's it. I'm wearing his jersey right now just for the fuck of it, but one of the best power forwards in the league, right? Now, the 92 Suns had 53 wins and were a second-round team even before Barkley. And they just, you know what they did is they swapped their top scorer, Jeff Hornacek, for Charles Barkley, which is a big upgrade, I guess, in my opinion. I mean, Hornacek's a great player, but this is Barkley we're talking about. And he also had Thunder Dan who, let me tell you about Dan Marley now, because no one knows about him, and in the last dance, they painted him out to be some average white guy. This was an all-defensive team guy. He could shoot the three in his time. He could get buckets on basically all levels, and he could dunk. He could like he had bounce for a white dude. And then, of course, there's Kevin Johnson, who didn't make the All-Star team because he missed 30-plus games, and also, even if he were to make the All-Star team, or were to play all those games, look who he has to make it over. John Stockton, Tim Hardaway Sr., and guess who made it this year? Terry Porter. Look how it all comes back, right? Kevin Johnson, who, for a lot of people that don't know, two years later in Game 7 against Houston that they lost, but no one talks about it because once again they lost, he had 46 points and 10 assists. Do you know how ridiculous that is in a Game 7 in that era? And Charles Barkley let him down a bit. 18 points, 23 rebounds, and 5 assists. Those stats still sound nice, but once again, I watched the game. Charles Barkley didn't do what needed to win. But let's go back to 93. So KJ, Dan Marley, Charles Barkley, who won MVP, three All-Stars. But let's get to the bench, because guess who just moved to another championship contending team? Danny Ainge. Two straight teams that made the finals, and he's on both of them. Coincidence? Oh, I don't know. And then we have Tom Chambers, who was just an All-Star two years prior, a four-time All-Star, and was a reserve at this point, who still had that experience. And then we had Cedric Sabalos, who averaged 13 points off the bench, Two years away from averaging 21 a game and dropping 50 in an NBA game for a playoff Lakers team known as the Lake Show. But nobody wants to talk about those guys because they don't fucking know any better. But Michael Jordan had a really easy route to, to win the finals, right? In the finals, he took his game to the next level to have to get through this team. 41 points, 8 rebounds, 8.5 actually, 6 assists. That's called pushing yourself to the limit right there. That's called a different level of willing to win. And now we get to LeBron 2011-12, the lockout season. Now, before the season, LeBron states that he didn't want to be the villain. This goes to back to the whole nice guy thing. LeBron likes being loved. He wants to be loved. This is a quote straight from LeBron. I play the game fun, joyful, and I let my game do all the talking, and I got away from that. That's what I lost last year. 
going through my first seven years in the NBA, I was always the liked one. And to be the, on the other side, they call it the dark side or the villain or whatever they call it. It was definitely challenging for myself. It was a situation I had never been in before, and it took a while. It took a long time to adjust to it. He worked with Akeem on his post game, and he came out in that Christmas game against Dallas, the season opener, with a vengeance. But of course, we saw that vengeance stuff in the conference finals, so we wouldn't really believe it until we saw the whole thing. LeBron wins his second MV- or his third MVP, deservedly so. A fantastic stat line of 27-8-6, 53% shooting. And listen to his team, though. Mario Chalmers, Shane Battier, Mike Miller, James Jones. What do these guys all have in common? Three-point shooting, spot-up shooters, three-and-D guys. There's a reason why this team was constructed a certain way. And in Miami, one thing I loved about LeBron is when people say LeBron can't play off the ball, as a LeBron fan, I would always refer to his years in Miami where there was a lot of down screens, a lot of him not having the ball, a lot of him, you know, coming down and getting a layup on the block from someone else because D-Wade, Chalmers, you know, there was people that they could pay attention to, you know, that he didn't have in Cleveland. And I think that was the best for him because he was actually in a real system with a real coach. And of all the teams LeBron's played for, you never hear the phrase, oh, they're well coached. Oh, they're a great team. Oh, they play so well together. They move the ball well. But you did when he was with Miami because he was a well-coached team. LeBron goes on to play a solid Knicks team in the first round, beats them in five. Then they go to the second round and play against the Pacers, whose best player was literally like Danny Granger or Roy Hibbert. And... Bosch gets injured. That's why the series goes six. And the Celtics team, they played in the conference finals. Now, let's not overrate the Celtics team. This Celtics team was still good. Rondo was kind of their best player. But they had no one averaging over 20 points. D-Wade and LeBron are like two top five players in the league at this point. And because Bosch isn't playing for most of the games, the Celtics still are up 3-2 going into game six. And that's when LeBron had the moment where he became a winner. Or at least not relative to Jordan, but a winner. 45 points, a look in his eye that's become a famous picture today. He really looked like he just was not going to take no for an answer. And that's the same thing he showed in Game 5 against Detroit five years earlier. He gets to the finals, he plays a young OKC team, and they win. Even though they didn't have home court advantage, they win. But were the Heat, I mean, were the Thunder really favored to win that series? Of course not. And when people like to say, and LeBron, by the way, uh, 28, 10, and 7, increased his average in the finals when finals MVP as he so deserved James Harden averaged 17 points back then he wasn't the James Harden of now there were two all-stars on the team that season but we're going to still count James Harden as an all-star caliber player because we're doing the same thing with Jordan's opposition so yes it was a good team but this is not the James Harden of today that's dropping 30. Thanks for listening to part one of my podcast if you enjoyed it let me know if you didn't let me know be sure to stay tuned for Part 2.